Okay, okay. Episode five of Ideas Into Action. Wow, can you believe it? Sank, Cinco, Bonch, Kamsa, we're doing this. I'm your host with the most, Hamza Khan, and our producer, as always, is Kwaku Ajimong, a.k.a. Kwaku on Air, a.k.a. the pre-workout connoisseur. His preferred blend of C4 powder has a distinct orange base with light notes of passion fruit and an overall lingering citrus aftertaste. In other words, it tastes like shit, but it gets you agitated and ready to lift every weight in the gym. Today's episode features a friend of mine and someone who has helped me to overcome the sense of loneliness that I felt as an entrepreneur back when I was running Splash Effect, a fellow marketing and creative agency founder, my man, Daniel Francavilla. In 2013, Daniel started up Now Creative Group, a team of creatives, business professionals, design thinkers, and problem solvers. They've worked with the likes of CBC, Panasonic, CIBC, Tridel, TELUS, and the city of Brampton. Speaking of Brampton, Daniel, like our old guest, Sawa Alam, is a diehard supporter of B-Town. Can I call it that? A hometown hero, Daniel is doing his part to put the city on the map. An all-around smart, talented, creative, and just plain good dude, Mr. Francavilla always has a smile on his face and never backs down from a difficult conversation. I really enjoy talking to him. We talked about energy optimization, leadership versus management, and being a hometown hero. We even talked about burnout, stress, and juggling multiple priorities. Friends, this is a guy who did it, is doing it, and will keep on doing it at the highest level. There's lots to be learned from him, so let's not waste any more time. Let's go. Daniel Francavilla. We're here. We're doing it. Right off the bat, my man, I have a gift for you. Okay. This, sir. I would like you to open it up, take a look, and tell me what you see in there. All right, what do we got? That is some vanilla matcha for you. No way! <laughs> we do our research here. We do our homework. I love matcha, first of all. I'm actually drinking it right now. Yep. And vanilla sounds even more enticing. So. I'm sorry that it's not from uh, Tea by Daniel, it's your not. homeboy. That's right, Tea by Daniel. But it's David's Tea. It's another It's another uh, name that starts with a D over here. Yep. It's, it's, it's good enough. Amazing. I accept. <laughs> we, we got you that gift because you've talked about three forms of energy that you receive. Okay. Matcha, and what are the other two? Um, what do you mean in terms of energy? Well, you said you have three sources of energy. You yes. have matcha, and then something that starts with an A, and something that starts with an M. Adrenaline and momentum. Oh, yes, sorry. I'm thinking. <laughs> when did I say this? Yes. You said this. Yes. And um, we understand where the matcha comes from. Yeah. Yeah. What about the adrenaline? What about the momentum? Where do you get those sources of energy in your life? So, yeah. So adrenaline is what I get when there's something like a very exciting project or a deadline or an opportunity to work with someone or a brand that I really want to work with. Um, and that's just kind of like where everything fires up, where I, I put everything into high gear, um, you know, physically, mentally, and we go for it, right? Um, the momentum comes with actually keeping that thing going mm-hmm. and kind of not just, you know, blowing it all out in one shot, but kind of planning out a few different ways where we purposely plan things so that they'll, they'll come up multiple times and we're always thinking about them, right? So putting in recurring meetings, um, you know, sharing ideas somewhere, um, sending each other inspiration. That's how we keep the momentum going on a project or an idea. Um, and of course, yeah, matcha fuels all of that to, to actually make it happen. <laughs> it and strings I, together all the days that comprise exactly. that momentum. Yes. And speaking of momentum, what yes. year of the business are you on right now? We're in year six right now. Of oh now my <laughs> goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Year six, you've made it past the threshold of five years when most businesses typically fail. I've heard that, especially in the agency world, um, even less than that. And I I was once um, trying to list our business in a, in a directory. 
and uh, this was at our very first co-working space. And I put us in there, and they I contacted them, and they said, you know, we only list businesses that have lasted for at least three years uh, from an agency's perspective. And I said, well, great, we're turning three in whatever month it was. So they actually ended up adding us to the list. But I kind of, like, paused for a second thinking, like, I didn't even realize that was a milestone. Um, so, yeah, here we are, year six. Buddy, adrenaline to get you excited, momentum to keep you moving, <laughs> and matcha to keep you held together between all those days that have comprised six years of running an agency. That is no small feat. Splash Effect, when I was there, went to year five, right. and Kareem is now taking it into year six and beyond. So okay. there's another celebration that's going to happen this summer when Kareem is able to take the company to year six, and I couldn't be happier. Nice. It's a real testament to everything that we're going to talk about on this podcast. But before that, yes. I have another gift for you. Okay. <laughs> I, I was not expecting the gifts. <laughs> well, this is what we do. Illustrious guests get the best gifts. Right. This is a success planner, okay. vacation themed, in now creative blue or I teal. It. I love the teal, yes. From uh, my very magnificent mentor, Carlin Purcell, who would be a dream guest on the show. Okay. Uh, this is for you, sir. Thank you. So this, so it matches the uh, David's tea bag. Oh, as it does. Well. Everything's themed over here. Oh my god. Now this gift is special, and it's special because uh, it goes back to another thing that you said in a blog post not too long ago. You said, and fill in the blanks for me over here. The only time is now. Now. <laughs> And this is a planner that will help you to anchor all of the different things you have going on in your life right now. And it says, yes, into make, now. making time for what matters the most, which is great. I love it. Oh, wow. This is super detailed. It's super detailed. It looks at all elements of your life. It looks at energy, time, attention, everything we're talking about, and it roots it into the present. Let's talk about the multiple things you've got going on sure. in your life right now. And yes. that's a question that I hate getting. It's like, <laughs> hey, what are you up to? What do you do exactly? Or worse, why are you so busy? What do you mean you're busy? What do you mean you're busy? <laughs> and I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to say that I hate that, that question. I think that it's a difficult question for me to answer because I don't think in terms of those patterns. Right. You know, to define you as a creative or to define you as an entrepreneur, just one thing doesn't do justice to the entire portfolio, the empire that you're working on. Right. Absolutely. Why don't you break down for the listeners and myself what that portfolio, what that empire looks like right now? Sure, absolutely. So uh, main thing, front and center, front and center, what gets most of my attention is Now Creative Group, which is the agency I started, uh, as you mentioned, six years ago after a couple of years of uh, freelancing after graduating from OCAD. And... Um, you know that there. Well, well, I'm sure we'll get into more details about the agency now. But um, you know, there's there's different phases that it goes through. Of course, um, right now I'm in a phase where I have an amazing uh, managing director who's kind of grown through, uh, grown with us a lot. Shout out to years. April. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> April. Um, and so that allows me to actually look at the rest of my day and mm -hmm. my time a little bit differently and think a little bit uh, more strategically. Um, the second major thing is um, Access, which is a nonprofit that I started uh, way back when I was in grade 10 uh, in high school. What? Yeah, so it's like 13 years ago or something um, when I started that. Um, and it's had, again, different formats that it's been in, but... It's pretty much been there the entire time. Uh, there's been staff. There's been volunteers. There's been times where it was just me and some friends. There's been um, times where we have our board of directors and we have events. Um, and so what we do with that right now is we run the uh, Access Bread Ideas pitch. So it's essentially 
you can apply for funding and pitch. So we're not doing like programs every day because we wouldn't be able to at this point with mm-hmm. where, where everyone's out with their right. schedules. Um, and then I also, of course, have my personal brand. Yes. So I'm working on, as you've uh, mentioned, some blog content. Um, I had a personal podcast um, just to kind of experiment with Anchor. Uh, put out a few things on there every once in a while. Um, but I am actually looking at formalizing and getting a lot more podcast content right. um, as you have done. And, and that's where we are here. Um, and then, of course, I'm involved in a ton of other things in the community. Um, I'm doing a lot of stuff in the startup space. I've been able to mentor a lot of uh, students, both through access and just through uh, people that need help with their business. Right. Um, sometimes helping out at uh, you know those um, uh, startup weekend type events and things like that. Uh, and uh, yeah, staying staying involved with a lot of my friends who are also entrepreneurs. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's always there's always something going on. Dude, at 16, grade 10, I think that's yes. uh, how old I was when I was in grade 10. I kid you not, man, me and my friends, I'm not going to name them. I don't want to implicate them, but we were stealing <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh cards from the local mall. Bro, it was Stephen Leacock Collegiate Institute. Uh, we had this card store called AK Cards, nice. and this uh, maniacal Russian guy was running the running the shop, and he was ripping students off and ripping young people <laughs> off. And so we decided to, in Gone in 60 Seconds fashion, exact revenge against him. Get and him we back. set up distractions. We stole a binder full of cards, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble for admitting this on air. What inspires a 16-year-old on the other side of town in Brampton? Yes, Brampton. To start up a nonprofit. Well, it was a very specific thing that propelled me into this, uh, and that was actually a trip to Dominican Republic. Okay, do tell. So I've always been involved in, you know, charity work here and there. Like my family's always, you know, donated to the food bank on Thanksgiving and, you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, but what was really, um, uh, significant about this opportunity that was kind of life changing was there was a volunteer trip to Dominican Republic. Um, not a volunteer trip, but an exposure trip to see kind of what life is like in the developing world, Mm -hmm. which is again, the majority of how the world lives. Right. right? Yeah. And so I went on that trip, not as a vacation, um, not as a volunteership, but just, again, living with local families, uh, being exposed to the different environments that are out there, the um, the villages, the uh, the more remote areas, um, the city, the capital, yeah. um, seeing what life is like. For... Safe to say you weren't in a pool with a Bubba mug, <laughs> no, there back was, Tom Collins. Exactly. There was none of that. So I signed up for that actually in grade nine. And then... Um, I don't know what again my uh, my high school's motto on the doors like would say to trust to risk to love to serve, and I kind of I kind of liked that in the sense that um, it applied very very directly to this trip. So I signed up in grade nine. There's only a couple people from my school that were interested, and we actually had to team up with two other schools to make it a big enough trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was I think four or five of us in the end, um, and on that trip um, I got to see firsthand what real poverty looks like, right? Very different than, you know, if you're helping someone out, let's say at a food bank here, or even something like homelessness downtown Toronto. Um, This is like real, real poverty where like, there's no hospital nearby. There's no, you know, drop-in center. There's, um, there's really nowhere for these people to go because the entire uh, system. Yeah. The entire system is, is just, has just left, you know, it's, it's not being attended to. Right. Goodness. So, I learned a little bit about, you know, the the politics behind that and, and got a little bit of history, but it was more really about um, 
person to person, noticing how these people um, live their lives. And what was crazy to me was how genuinely happy and appreciative they were for the littlest things. That could be, you know, someone that, um, you know, brings them something to play with, right? Or someone who wants to talk to them and help them to practice English. They were incredibly thankful for that, incredibly, um, uh, they would like come alive, right? And I thought, you know, like, you know, people here, like, we're complaining because it's, like, a few degrees too cold or, you know, the lid fell off my Starbucks drink on the way here and I got it some on my hand. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, man, like, I only have 2% battery left. Like, your day is ruined. It's like, man, like, these people are actually genuinely happy and thankful and grateful Yours, for what they right. do have. So that got me thinking differently. Um, and a, a big thing was that they couldn't go to school. Mm. Very simply, without a uniform or shoes. And, of course, if you can barely feed yourself, it's going to be difficult to buy a nice school uniform. Right. So a lot of these students weren't able to get into the schools um, or or even have uh, the money for the transportation to get to school. So I thought that was clearly an injustice, right? I'd been involved in, like, social justice clubs at school and, and saw what that stuff was like. Um and I really wanted to do something to help them get an education because they right. told us how critical that was. So when I came back from the trip, I had an opportunity to present my experience to the local church in Brampton. And um, they had no, they knew I was going on this trip, so they invited me to present. And I had no idea what I, what I had agreed to. So I got back, and they had me present at five different services throughout the day on one wow. Sunday. Uh, or one weekend, sorry. And uh, I had a slideshow and I said, here's what I saw. Here's what I learned. Here's the people I met. Here's what they wanted. And at the end, I sat at a table uh, kind of in the lobby um, with a, like a little collection bin and, and a couple of pictures. And the name Access um, had to be, I was told I had to have a name that, that the day before. So I came up with this name, Access. And what it stands for, it's an acronym, which we don't currently Interesting, use. because I thought it's a simple, poignant enough word that Exactly. So Access, yes. Access to education, access to opportunities. But what the, the acronym was at the time, again, younger high school student, was <laughs> allowing children a chance at education with school supplies. So too Ooh. many words, seven words, um, or eight words, whatever it was. But it captures the spirit of what you were trying to do. Very simple, very direct, right? Yeah. So our first fundraiser was to provide uh, money for uniforms. Right. And I sat there, I sat outside those services, and people donated money. They asked, you know, how can we write checks to you, and can we donate online? And of course, we didn't have that set up yet. Um, but thankfully, I got some help uh, from the admin side because, of course, the church does collect donations and is able to process these things. So by the end of the that weekend, we had raised over $8,000. What? And I was sitting there thinking, okay, like, I barely had this thing thought out, but I knew I was super driven to do it. And that really propelled me for it. I was like, okay, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be a you know, very serious initiative. I'm going to get some people to help me. I'm going to build the website. Uh, and I actually started playing around, learning how to build a website and experimenting in Photoshop and stuff through that mm. experience. I learned how to register my first domain name. And, uh, this makes me seem super old, but <laughs> embarrassingly enough, I registered my first because I didn't have a credit card. Right. I registered my domain name through mail. <laughs> what? So I paid by a check. Oh my so goodness. I, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. I don't know if you can do it anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this is like before, uh, I don't know if it was before GoDaddy, but I definitely didn't know what GoDaddy yeah. was. And so I, I, yeah, you just had to 
pretty much register it, uh, write a check, send it to them, and then once they receive your check and deposit it, your domain is active and you get an wow. email. That happened in our lifetime, eh? <laughs> Seriously, that's what, that's what I'm, yeah, it was in Unimaginable. 2005 or 2006, yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, it's a pretty detailed story of how I actually just started the thing, but uh, it kind of evolved uh, into doing, you know, we did presentations at high schools, um, a bunch of friends helped out and we um, did, again, our own fundraisers, we did school supply drives every summer, um, we did uh, speeches around the community, um, got to speak at some conferences and um, eventually eventually turned into an organization that helps other youth start their own thing. Amazing. So in turn, I'm able to now work with a lot of amazing uh, students, both, you know, high school students, post-secondary students, just young people who really want to make a, an impact. Um, and uh, yeah, 13, almost 13 wow. years later, we're doing that. Daniel, uh, a leader's job is to create other leaders. And it seems like you've been doing that for a very long time. You've really primed and nurtured an ecosystem in Brampton, but certainly beyond that as well. Yes. Yeah. You think of yourself as a hometown hero? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but definitely, um, it's always kind of, you know, driven me back to Brampton, right? So right. I've lived in Toronto uh, for part of my schooling here at OCAD, um, moved back, um, you know, moved to live here again, moved back. Like, I've always been kind of part of the Brampton community. Right. Um, and that includes working with... Um, a variety of organizations that exist there because the mm -hmm. whole point is to build an actual ecosystem, a community, right? And and not just, um, you know, this is my thing, support my thing or not, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things I learned super early on was the power of collaboration yes. and how so critical it is in the nonprofit space. Um, I thought about it uh, recently, like... We also, <laughs> we almost tried to force collaboration on certain groups, right? Because we were just like, we get it. Like, why don't, why aren't you guys getting this? Like, it's so obvious that if we work on this project together uh, or, or, you know, merge our teams that we're going to make a bigger impact, right? Um, so there's a couple organizations back in the day that what we would consider like our peers or newer ones starting up that we try to collaborate with that definitely weren't ready for that model. Um, but that taught me a lot about the importance of community and collaboration, which I've definitely brought to the startup space, the business side as well. But the role that you played in all of this cannot be understated. And uh, I want to I draw on support <laughs> from somebody by the name of Aubrey Graham. You might have heard about him. He yes. goes by the name of Drizzy Drake. <laughs> did you watch the Grammys? Grammy award winning. Uh, I did not watch the Grammys. But do you know what happened? I saw his tweet. I saw a tweet about it, but you can... Okay, I'll, I'll break me. this down, and eventually the podcast <laughs> will get to a place where we can play the clip for you. But nice. what happened is uh, he received an award for God's Plan. Right. And now he's been very vocal about the Grammys. He's boycotted the Grammys for a number of years, so to everyone's shock, he actually showed up to the Grammys to collect his award. Right. But the Six God had other plans. He accepted his award and then proceeded to trash the Grammys with his announcements, with his uh, acceptance speech. Oh, man. Can I read the transcript for yes. you? It's very short because they cut him off. Here's what he said. He said, <laughs> I want to take this opportunity while I'm up here to just talk to all the kids that are watching this, aspiring to do music. Drake began while he accepted a Grammy for best rap song for his hit song, God's Plan. All my peers that make music from their heart, that do things pure and tell the truth, I want to let you know we're playing in an opinion-based sport, not a factual-based sport. Right. So it's not the NBA where at the end of the year you're holding a trophy because you made the right decisions or won games. This is a business where sometimes it gets up to a bunch of people who might not understand what a mixed-race kid from Canada has to say or a fly Spanish girl from New York or anybody else or a brother from Houston right there, my brother Travis Scott. But my point is you've already won. And if you have people singing your words word for word, if you're a hero in your hometown, you've already won. 
Look, if there's people who have regular jobs who are coming out in the rain, in the snow, spending their hard-earned money to buy tickets to come to your shows, you don't need this right here, referring to the Grammy Award. I promise you, you've already won. Yes. I bring that up because last year you were bestowed with a huge honor. What was it? <laughs> uh, I won a couple of awards. What's the big one, though? Uh, the Well, through the Brampton Board of Trade. Um, 40, 40. Yes. Well, there was a 40 under 40. 40 under Absolutely. 40. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. How did it feel to win that? Um, it felt pretty great, especially because, again, this was through through Brampton, a community that, you know, I wasn't actually living in at the time. And mm-hmm. so it was really good to, to see that, um, you know, that the work I had put in over the past however many years was, was being recognized. Um, what I do love about it as well is that, you know, they kind of put you in this community of like 40 or 39 other people who I totally consider uh, amazing, inspiring peers, Mm -hmm. um, not only from that year, but the previous year. So a number of my um, uh, colleagues, friends, contacts from Brampton that won it the previous year, um, I was I was super excited to be able to to join them and join that group because again these are awesome people and one thing that was really unique I'd never been part of an award ceremony like this um, they had put um, everyone's photo everyone's framed photo with their you know with their award on different tables throughout the auditorium or the banquet hall. And then you can go around and essentially write and sign their frame. Oh! So at the end of the night, you have this frame signed with people that you may have never met, um, but you're, they're kind of acknowledging their support um, for what you did, right? And I thought that um, for me to be able to do that to other people where you may never get to acknowledge them, right? Because you may just see an article about them online somewhere. Well, this was a chance to, to actually do that. So shout out to the Brampton Board Dude, of Trade for coming up with that. That's <laughs> a really cool honor. I mean, you're very deserving of it. And I don't want to diminish how important <laughs> this award is, but answer me, answer me this, riddle me this. If you didn't win that award, what would have changed? Would you have stopped working on the things you're working on? Absolutely not. No, of course not. So then when when that's being said, what does the award really do? And do you actually need the award? And I go back to that initial question of, yeah. do you see yourself as a hometown hero? Because in my eyes, and to all the listeners who know you and the listeners who are just getting to know you, it sounds very much like you've already won. You've already become <laughs> the catalyst in your hometown. You're building structures. You're creating other leaders. You're doing the important work. That award is just an afterthought. 100%. Like, The award for me is when, again, it sounds cheesy, but the award for me is when I see groups like youth groups, student-led organizations, nonprofits that I had the chance to work with when they were getting started, when I see them posting their own conference, right? Like they may have been inspired by attending one of our conferences through Access, right? Or they may have gone to a talk I did through the Brampton Entrepreneur Center or something, right? And when I see them launching their product or hosting their own event, like that's where I, I feel that I've one right there like it's that it's the it's not just well first of all it's seeing the impact happen but it's also passing it on to someone else that's going to be able to do something big and um that's one of the main reasons why i still am so involved with the work i do through access um and through my business now creative group trying to help these young entrepreneurs and startups even just giving internships here right? you go brother real talk did you feel old when you got 40 under 40 <laughs> <laughs> i felt old because we're um, not eligible for 30 under 30 anymore that is we old true <laughs> yes um uh yeah so looking at that uh, i think i remember it was a, it was a couple years ago and and someone was talking to me about the fact that i need to start applying to this stuff because yeah. you know soon i'm not going to fit the demographic but uh yeah i think i'm good i, I was super happy about that yeah. um one of the other things that happened later on that year is um 
there was something called the Business Excellence Awards in yeah. Brampton, and I actually found that to be a little bit more um, more rewarding, more valuable for the business because. Again, it was my company, right? So showing that my company, having my business acknowledged for something when there's thousands, literally thousands of marketers, right, mm-hmm. and creatives uh, in GTA, probably in in Brampton alone, right? right. Um, so to have that uh, be recognized for anything uh, was great. So there was a, a few different categories. So we were the winner for what was called the Healthy Workplace Award. Nice. Um, and, you know, at first some, some people were laughing because they're trying to say, like, you know, like, what do you guys do? Like yoga every morning? Or like, what does it mean <laughs> yeah, by healthy, right? Like, drink matcha all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, are you guys the most, um, you know, physically fit and whatever? Um, but it was actually about, you know, having a, a great environment for your team to thrive in, right? Yeah. So, whether that's, um, you know, the fun things that we do, uh, whether that's flexible hours, whether that's, you know, accommodating, you know, whatever it is, dress code, everything like that. Um, not saying that we've built the perfect environment or the perfect company. There's definitely, in a, you know, when you're, more closer to the startup phase, there's tons of things that you know aren't ideal. But um, I think having that award was a great acknowledgement to show, like, hey, this is something I built. Mm-hmm. It's not just me getting an award. Right. It's something that we've built. And I say we because, again, you can't have a healthy workplace if there's no team to work in that place. Totally. Right? And your team really benefits from your very laissez-faire, hands-off style. I mean, there I are many days where you're not even in the office at all. Yep. You're taking meetings, you're with clients, Absolutely. you're sometimes working from home. Speaking, yep. Is it easy to run a team in 2019 that has expectations around working from home, flex time, and a very fluid work environment? I think it is. Um, I personally... Like as a creative, um, I think it's maybe just the type of communicator I am. Um, I vis I visib- visually sorry um, and physically need to certain see certain things going on right. So you know when we're having a brainstorming session, which we just had right before this meeting, mm-hmm. you know we had everyone in, in in the brand new boardroom that we uh, are now able to use, and it was really it was really amazing. Like I found that personally fulfilling to see you know first of all someone else leading the meeting. Uh, printed out, you know, agendas and materials, and our, and our team there, right. just attentive and ready, right? Yeah. So it's hard to see that when you're working just behind a Google Hangout or email. Right. Um, we use a project management system called Asana. Asana, which, shout sure. out to Asana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. super, uh, super common now. Um, and from there, like, yes, I can, I can provide my feedback, but sometimes I almost feel like. You know, as a creative, if I was receiving that feedback as a, to a design, it's just like three bullet points or like this doesn't work. You know, that's not the most encouraging feedback. Right. So having that with a balance of in-person sit-downs and critiques totally. is, is, is super important. And the other thing is like as a team, um, it's not just me to them or them to the managing director. It's also them to each other, right? right. So um, one of the things we noticed, uh, you know, over the summer when we had a lot of uh, interns and stuff is they're actually like literally sitting side by side, turning to each other about these, consulting each other about the work they're doing mm-hmm. without having to ask anyone in quote unquote leadership, right, right. about this project. And I think that um, that actually uh, produces even more valuable uh, uh, work because there's more of a process. It's not just like, here's a design I think I like. Let me send it to Daniel and see what he thinks. Mm-hmm. You're actually um, putting more thought and effort into that and getting more critical. So to summarize that, uh, yes, I believe that remote work, um, 
you know, whether it's working from home, um, having flexible hours, you know, having one day off a week that you work from home or whatever it is, um, I 100% believe in that if it makes you more productive and effective and, and overall happier with your job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I personally wouldn't want to be in the position where I'm told exactly no matter what with no flexibility uh, where I have to be and when, right? Yes. And so um, I'm a favor of that uh, as long as it doesn't, uh, you know, affect your productivity. Um, and I think as creatives, though, you do need to kind of be in the same room at some Totally. Time. And the numbers are in. What you just described right now is very much the workplace of the future. Any company that resists that <laughs> is simply not going to be able to tra- attract top talent. We actually have a question from one of our listeners, Joel Elu. And I want to pose this question to both of us. And I want to hear your thoughts first, because All I think right. we have slightly differing opinions about this. <laughs> uh, Joel asked, he said, I'm struggling to separate management from leadership, which is a dichotomy that we've talked about in the last podcast as well. You mentioned that you don't manage your team based on their office presence as long as work is done. Did you grow into the style as the team matured or did you start that way? Got I'm it. very eager to hear what you did with now because I have a, a bit sure. of a horror story with that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, at first, um, because now kind of started uh, fairly organically, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, receive a bunch of funding and hire 10 people at a time. Yeah, bootstrapped, right? right? Yeah, totally bootstrapped. And so a lot of the people in there were uh, freelancers, friends from university, um, friends from life in general, uh, and contacts I had from social media and stuff like that, where they would come in, do some work, head out, right? Uh, and I would kind of be there like throughout the 12 hour period and they would kind of like, you know, pop in and out throughout the day. Um, and we had a co-working space. We didn't even have memberships for all these people. So it was kind of like, okay, you're in, you're out. Um, the management was more like, check mark, right? Like you've completed this task, you know, you've, you've, you put everything that's supposed to be in there in terms of content, the design works, you're good to go. Here's your, here's your fee for that particular project, right? So it was more of a flat fee type thing. X amount for this business card, X amount for this report. Um, so very transactional, right? Gotcha. So when we, when I had the opportunity to, um, you know, starting off with a retainer actually with one of my best friends uh I considered it a retainer it was essentially just a base pay right for all the work that was coming in um i got the chance to kind of allow like allow myself to separate myself from those individual projects and allow him to take the lead on some of those right so the management of uh the management style came became more based around trust which was okay you believe in this project and this client. You're clear on the vision. Let's see what you can do, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of there to pretty much approve concepts at that point. Right. So um, it got to the point where, again, we're not just hiring those creatives. We're now hiring people who are you know, doing websites or doing social media content or writing or, or whatever that is. Which not, There's not just a, you know, how do you feel about this piece, right? Or what's your opinion on this creative work? It's more like, critical feedback, this has to be done correctly. And again, the trust factor is even higher in that in that uh, threshold because you're like, I don't know if this works, right? I don't know what the code looks like. I need to trust you that this is actually gonna function correctly, mm-hmm. right? So um, from a, from that perspective, I was uh, slowly able to, um, you know, remove myself from the, the day-to-day, um, what, what, micromanagement, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, now, after doing that though for, you know, couple years um i'm actually noticing the projects that i really am passionate about and the ones that i really care about i'm trying to uh restrain myself from getting too involved in those right and and jumping in at the at the wrong time or the or 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 actually messing up the process that is in place Mm -hmm. um and i've you know i've seen that too where it's like okay i want to have a meeting about this because i want to get my ideas and get my hands wet 
But if I actually by doing that, I could actually be throwing the project off course, exactly. right? Uh, and so I've learned I've learned slowly again to respect the process, you know, trust the, the team members, and overall, my job is to approve the quality and make sure that it's on point, right, uh, and matches with the strategy. That's very interesting, and I love that approach. It's a very graduated approach. I did the total opposite of that when I started, <laughs> as I gave my team complete trust, complete laissez-faire from the get-go, and I said figure this out. And I think I did that from a place of insecurity because I was often the same age as the people I was managing, if not sometimes younger. Right. So I was actually afraid of leading. I was afraid of managing. And so what I did is I just completely gave up control. And that backfired. I started getting attrition. I started getting uh, disobedience, for lack of a better phrase. The work started to suffer. And so what I had to learn and how I had to modify my style over time was to become much more um, tight up front create those braces, create right. processes and systems and guide people to a place where they then understand the cadence that they need to succeed autonomously versus starting right. from a plate of, place of complete autonomy uh, uh, autonomy to begin yep. with. Makes sense. I've actually noticed different ways, uh, sorry, different style of management when it comes to like, let's say a co-op student, right, who's in high school right. versus, you know, an established um, contractor or freelancer or full-timer on our team. Um, so I'm able to, you know, be more of a leader when it comes to the um, full-time person because they don't need me to to manage micromanage them right they need to see my vision though uh whereas with the with the um less experienced team member again it's it's going back to the more transactional portion where it's like i just need to manage them to correctly ensure that this project is actually getting done um and that they know all the pieces because they're not familiar with the process so that's kind of where i see the example of a difference between leadership and management Interesting. And I want to ask a follow-up question about that from Joel. And so Joel posed this, and uh, I'm thinking about the Jay-Z line. I'm going to give you a million dollars worth of advice for nine ninety nine. Can you give him you know, a million dollars worth of advice within the few minutes that we have to answer this question? Uh, and it's, it's a bit of a complicated one. He says, my team of eight my team of eight comprises of interns and recent graduates. So very similar to kind of how we've structured our agencies, most of whom have no previous work experience, and it's proving a difficult challenge to give a relaxed environment. Uh, I've tried to have some of the guys work from home, but they drift and miss deadlines. I prefer not to breathe down their necks, but I'm assuming they're not motivated enough. Right now, only two members work with minimal supervision. How do I get the rest of the team on board? Firing and hiring all the time doesn't seem to be a sustainable solution. Mm. So how do you, essentially, how do you change the culture? How do you get the rest of the team on board with this relaxed environment? That's, yeah, that's super difficult. The, The way that we've always done it is that we've had them part of the physical environment from day one. Right. To the point where they're comfortable there, they don't just feel like they're letting you know the client down, but they actually feel like they would be letting their team down, mm-hmm. right? And of course, you know, you could be just be someone who just doesn't give a crap about anyone else or how they're you know how they're affected. Um, but you probably wouldn't find yourself on one of our teams if that was the case, right? Exactly. We're 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 hiring people who are passionate not only about their craft but about actually making some type of impact, right? Right. So from the perspective of you know. How do I get my team to become more self-sufficient and more reliable? Um, I would really look at what their motivations are, right? If the motivations are strictly money, then maybe they can actually make more by working remotely or working sure. from home, right? Um, or maybe they can be rewarded by efficiency. So if they're being paid hourly, of course, there's a chance that they would probably work take longer on a project. So maybe looking at you know switching their pay structure, um, that could be a solution. Uh, another solution is to always have team kickoff meetings in person. Right. 
right. Where everyone's on board with the strategy, the direction, they know who's doing what, uh, and then they can kind of go off and work in their best environment. Totally. Um, and then what we did all summer long for our studio uh, was we allowed every single Friday as a remote work day. Nice. No matter who you are in the company, every single person's working remotely. Um, you know, sometimes, of course, we're going to meet up, but most of the time... If you want to work in a cafe, a library, if you want to stay in Scarborough, if you want to still come downtown, uh, whatever it is, right? We also have memberships at WeWork, Make Lemonade, uh, and other spaces. So we have the option of going there too. Um, and that flexibility, um, it, it shows that we're trusting them, right? But would I allow uh, my team to work room only for a month without checking in? I don't think that any of us would, either side would perform uh, as well if mm -hmm. that was the case, right? That's interesting. And I have a slightly differing opinion because I do think it is possible. And if we've done this successfully at Splash Effect where we've let our team be autonomous towards the end of our time there. I didn't know when people were going to come into the office. Mm -hmm. But I think what was amazing that we did is we put in place braces that allowed us to know when people were working. So we had daily check-ins, stand-up meetings at 10 a.m. Everyone had to dial in no matter what sleep schedule you were on. 10 a.m. <laughs> you had to dial in, let people know what your priorities were for the day, and then also what blockers you had so that management could troubleshoot and triage them accordingly. And then what we also had is we had communication expectations. So if somebody calls you, we expect an answer or response within 30 minutes. Right. If somebody texts you, within one to two hours. If somebody emails you, 12 to 24. And so this way, anytime there was communication that was needed, people knew generally how to get in touch with each other. Right. Now, granted, we had a small team, and so it was easy to create those cultures and processes, but I imagine this gets really difficult when you're looking at a, you know, a Kundari-sized agency. Absolutely. Instance. Yeah, and I think... Uh, I've seen some examples where you know even very large companies are switching to. Um, I think the first step starts with the structure of their office, right? Instead of private offices and cubicles, they switch to more of an open office format. Mm -hmm. From there, people start to realize, oh, I don't actually have a desk to go to, so does it even matter if I'm here, right? And so um, I actually got a tour of uh, Rogers in Brampton, their, oh, nice. their massive uh, headquarters. Yeah, Stavo was saying something about that it's, recently. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. open um, concept and very startup like, right? Yeah, very startup like uh i wouldn't say homey but yeah very like warm you know comforting uh colors textures cool cool rooms um but what they they made a very good uh sorry they made a point at creating the variety of types of places and no one has i think Asawa did mention this no one actually has a set desk right Every single day, you can be sitting somewhere different. Now, of course, people are a lot of people are creatures of habit, and they will gravitate towards certain sections. But um, they don't even want you to necessarily sit with your team. Hmm. So, what I found kind of, you know, uh, contradictory about that is, well, if I'm not here to sit with my team, I can be anywhere in the world. Why, you why, know, why come in, be, right? Yeah. So, and and I think. Um, Again, it's an experiment for them too, right? They they, they have thousands of employees and, um, you know, it obviously costs a ton of money to convert your office from the old school state to this new state. But I think if you're going to see an overall improvement in productivity or employee satisfaction, you can't ignore that, right? So personally, I would love that, right? Because I would work in the, uh, you know, I would work in the cafe sometimes. I would work in the couch sometimes. I would work in the, one of the you know, soundproof booth sometimes, especially if I'm trying to do a call or trying to write something. So you need that variety, right? Yeah. Um, having, you know, of course, the idea of a, of, a, of a cubicle is not effective. Same thing as if you're forced to go to the same location every single day. Um, even with an office, especially in our first year, like at least once or twice a week, I'd be working out of a cafe, right? And, you know, that it's, it's freedom. It's the flexibility. It's knowing that, hey, 
I just need a, a change of scenery, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of startups don't even have the luxury of, of having these vast offices with 36 types of work environments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as a founder, back to you know answer that original question, right? Uh, as a founder, you really have to look at your team and their motivations and, and how they're going to do their best work. This is so interesting for me to hear because I feel like, you know, when I was when I was working on Splash Effect, parallel to when you were working on Now Creative, you really helped me to feel a sense of connection to somebody who was going through similar challenges. You know, Kareem was there, granted. Kareem had a different work configuration, so I wasn't as, you know, sometimes when you're working with a co-founder, and you probably feel this when you work with April, sometimes your your experiences blend into one. Like, it's almost like, remember that movie Pacific Rim where they have to be drift compatible? (laughs) And, you know, they move one hand together, and then the robot, the mech's hands move at the same time. Uh, It was nice to have another founder in another company that I could talk to and bounce ideas off of and discuss my stresses with. And uh, you reinforced some qualities that I brought back into Splash Effect. Tenacity, grit, boldness, flexibility, so many things. I remember when we met at Kaosan Road not too long ago. Mm-hmm. We had dinner pretty late. Like we finished dinner at like <laughs> what, 10 30, 11? Yeah, yeah. And then you and April went to a meeting right after that. <laughs> I went home and just I was out like a light. I mean, the grind doesn't stop for you. And what I want to understand now is where this endless supply of energy comes from, how it is that you manage your time, how it is that you decide what competes for your attention. Sure. I know you're Italian, right? (laughs) Sure, there's a lot of good food that goes into the system that powers you up too. And I want to hear about all of that. The listeners want to hear about all of that. So let's switch gears and go into the performance point segment of the show where I imagine we're going to spend quite a bit of time. Let's start with just that, time. What are some non-negotiables in your calendar, things that never move for anyone? Uh, non-negotiables, uh, well, <laughs> it, it really depends on the day because uh, like my days are a little bit different structure depending what those are. But, um, if it's been a couple of days where I've had, uh, not just late nights of working, but where I've had, you know, um, three, four, five, six engagements, whether that's meetings, presenting, speaking, whatever that is. Um, I really don't like to have many, many of those days, uh, consecutively because, um, I can tell that it drains me. Uh, you know, just physically, mentally, but more importantly, I can tell that I won't be in the right mindset or the right mood to actually perform the next day, right? So um, that's a non-negotiable to me. Like, listen, we're not going to have this critical creative brainstorming session, whether it's about now creative group or otherwise, right? Or a client or whatever. Um, We're not going to have it that the next morning yeah. after this long thing. So that's a non-negotiable. Um, we have planned stuff that we've had to move around and I do want to do more of that. The challenge is there's only so much time to push something to, right? You can't just keep pushing things around. So that is a non-negotiable though. If, if I'm not in the right mindset or my team member is not in the right mm-hmm. mindset, we're we're just not going to do And then that. how do you prevent and guard yourself against system breakers? So I have this all the time where I'll have like a talk. Good yep. example of this is I need to be in the right mindset. So I'll plan 24 hours in advance to do very little... Right. Right. Keep a very low energy right. so that I can show up and, and be there. But then an emergency will happen or somebody <laughs> will, will show up with a priority that will require me to step out of my zone. Right. And uh, essentially, they'll break the system. How do you guard yourself against these system breakers? Yeah, um, I think one of the things I've been looking at doing re- uh, recently is deciding, you know, dealing with the problem or the information at hand, but deciding when I'm actually going to react to that, right? Deciding when you're going to react yes. to it. So you don't react it in the moment. You make a decision about yes. you so plan for reacting to it later. Exactly. So I have to tell myself, of course, like, I have to alert myself of how important this is or how crazy this is or how whatever, uh, address the crisis or address the challenge. But I will usually tell myself, okay, tomorrow at this time is when I'm going to tackle that, right? Because 
we have been in reactionary mode in the past. Like my first three years or so, like it was just me managing a team as a creative creator, doing some of the design work and stuff and running the company and doing sales. Right. So I had those moments where it's like, I literally have to drop everything. I'm ticked off. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, I'm not going to be, um, happy or positive or creative at the next meeting I'm going to, but I have to take care of this thing. Um, I have to stay on the phone for two hours because our hosting company messed up and all our sites are down. Like, I like you have to, right? It's yeah. it's, it's something the entrepreneur's that entrepreneur's burden. Exactly. I don't have someone I can outsource that to. And if I did, it wouldn't make sense to pay them for that, right? So um at that point, you know, you ha- you're in reactionary mode, right? So yes, it was quite stressful. Um I remember even like at family functions, you know, like, you know, my family would be annoyed that I'm stressed out or on my phone. It's like I literally have no choice right now, right? Yeah. There's no one else that could take this away. If right? I don't work, the business fails. Exactly, right? And it's also like that feeling of calm for yourself. Like you can't just sleep knowing that all of your clients' websites are down or that, you know, there's an employee that uh, has an issue and you're not going to be able to address them until it gets potentially gets worse, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that, so what I like to do now as much as possible is make a note and put it straight up in the calendar. I'm addressing this at this time, right? right? Even if it's in the same day, right? So, um, it's really funny to see, uh, April follow suit with that because yeah. yes, as a, uh, she started as an account manager, her previous role. So her job is dealing with the client issues urgently. She still has to do that, but at least she can delegate that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, lately We'll get some some crazy email, right? Like, I don't know, someone's deciding to cancel or someone, uh, a team member is no longer available or, um, you know, whatever it is, right? Or something, or like a major date has just been shifted and we'll be on the go somewhere, we'll be at a meeting and we'll, we'll look at each other and say, okay, we're going to address that right mm-hmm. after this. Yeah. Instead of panic mode, let's cancel our meeting. Let's let's run in here. Let's get out of this Uber and deal with it, right? So we've been able to do that. And, and I think that uh, <laughs> that's one of the only ways that um, I've, I'm able to, to cope. Because otherwise, you'd be firing off, like just of running course, off of man. adrenaline. And, and, and that's you're going to kill yourself for the next thing that you have to do, right? And uh, Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower, former U.S. president, had a matrix to describe what you just d- talked about right now, <laughs> the, Eisen- uh, the Eisenhower matrix, which talks about uh, the relationship between urgency and importance. And he right. says this famous, famous saying, like what's urgent is seldom, seldom important, and what's important is seldom urgent. <laughs> and I think what you've done over there is create your own unique framework for deciding right. when you're going to deal with something that's important. Not everything is urgent. I think we've been conditioned by social media, by just the confluence of time uh, and just the convergence yep. of all these technologies oh, yeah. that have made us feel like everything is now. Yes. was on your shirt right now, but it's not. that's not true. <laughs> now now it can happen when you want it to happen. 100%. And it's, it's also um, assessing what is causing you to react, right? Yeah. Is it anxiety that you personally feel because you are someone who doesn't like to leave things undone? Mm-hmm. Um, is it that the client is going to be pressuring you and you're not going to be able to maintain the relationship with them, right. right? Is it that the actual success of a project, whether it's yours or, or a client's, yeah. is going to fail? Like, what is the what are you actually concerned about? Right. Like, what's causing that, right, the reaction? So by default, if you condition yourself to, all right, I'm auto- I have the expectation with all of my clients and all of my friends and family that I'm going to respond within three or four minutes of a text, then you, at what point can you give that up? Right. Yeah. Like you've, you've, you've created an expectation. You've created the expectation and you've conditioned yourself to yeah. doing that. Right. You're now so, a servant to the system. 
Exactly. So for me, because um, you kind of mentioned uh, social media and stuff, like I don't have my notifications on for my Amen. Instagram messages. No notification messages. gang. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what we are. For, for Twitter, all of that. Um, text messages I usually have, but when I'm actually doing deep focus or work, um, I put it on sleep mode or do not disturb mode, right? And so um, obviously in this podcast, uh, it's on do not disturb. <laughs> Thank you. Um <laughs> I, I did. Up I, did two, I know. I did hear the phone <laughs> ring, or shit, in that other episode. Um, but again, uh, it doesn't mean you're not going to be thinking about stuff, right? But at least you're being more intentional. And uh, I, I, I really strongly believe in the stuff that you've talked about in the burnout gamble and in other uh, forms, which is the finite amount of you know energy yes. uh, and um, time. Yeah. Yeah. In, in per day, right? Like right. the amount of willpower and the amount of like. Whatever it is that you can uh, exert per day, uh, I truly believe that that's affected. So, hundred percent. If you have a really rough morning, man, like, yeah, chances are, like, if you have a really important meeting later on, like, you really need to concentrate, block off your your afternoon, do something totally different uh, to be able to refocus for that, or you might not be able to recover, right? So, I try to be as cognizant of that as I can. Um, I have pushed calls, yes, or I have said. April, I'm not going to be on this call, right? Have you ever pushed emails? Um, <laughs> emails is difficult because it's right there where you can respond. Um, one of the things I have done in the past is respond to something uh, very vaguely, saying I'll get back to you, right? Same here. Yeah, and I and it's I my think, new tool. Like I'll respond right. to you later tonight. Because yeah, the, and the biggest thing is manage people, expectations. Basically. Exactly, it's people thinking that you're dodging them or you're ignoring them, and yeah. it could escalate the, the issue, right? So letting people know you get back to them is is totally fine, um, and I think that you know. Originally, I would leave the text messages or the or whatever messages unread, so I see it, but just clear it, like just for sure. Let them know you're gonna get back. Dude, to them. our mutual friend, uh, you know Drew Dudley, right? Yes. Uh, Drew gave me one of my favorite productivity hacks. He calls it the "fuck you" inbox. Okay. Hear me out, man. So, anytime you get a difficult email. The sort of email that just brings out the worst in you and you want to respond back. Like a, a client once emailed me by saying, you know, after we put in all of this time into producing prototypes and yep. mock-ups for a website, they were like, yeah, this doesn't meet my expectations. <laughs> and I want to respond by like, what the fuck are you talking about? We agreed on the brief. This has been signed off multiple <laughs> times. We're an experienced team. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I wrote all of that into my fuck you inbox. This is the inbox that I never send out. It's like the, the, the portrait of Dorian Gray that's in my Evernote right now. Just vitriol filled notes. Nice. And you get that out into that fuck you inbox. And then you go back to your regular inbox. And it's like, you know, I really appreciate the points you're making over here. And uh, happy to entertain them at a future uh, brainstorm meeting. <laughs> And you know what? Yeah. That the secondary part to, to, to and, and what's genius about this is the secondary is it gives you some time to breathe. It lets you isolate the feelings that you have and right. put them into one container, right. but then also get back to responding to that email, not instantaneously. Right. You can and take your time. 24 to 48 hours, exactly. I think is perfectly acceptable, man. And also, again, like, yeah, there's going to be, you know, depending on the situation uh, or your relationship with the other person, there's going to be times where they're acting unreasonable. It doesn't mean that you have to start acting unreasonably as well, right? So you kind of own that. You can control that situation by keeping your cool. Um, and in the end, if something crazy happens, well, you have a record that they were the one that was freaking out and not there you, you go. right? So um, when, it, when it comes to business, of course, customer service. Sometimes you kind of have to, you know, give up certain principles because customer service is important. Um, but you also have to to look at the um, 
uh, like balance that out. Like, what are you willing to give up to keep this individual or this client happy? Right. There you go. Um, and there's only been a couple of times where I've really like let it go in the point where it's like, you know what, this is not worth it for us. Right. Like we're just, that's it done. Right. Um, and I've mostly done it, not for me as an individual, but for my team. Like if, if you're going to put my team through insane, like unnecessary, um, harm, abuse, whatever it is, that's where we kind of have to draw the line. Um, it's tough cause I'm someone who, you know, I always want to save things. I'm very optimistic. Right. And, um, if something is taking a turn where it's going well, um, I'll, I'll grasp onto that and be like, hey, you know, maybe we can actually just finish this, right? It's like this the uh, thing you talked about as well, the sunken cost fallacy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we've already put in so much time to make this happen. Uh, we're almost there. We're so close yes. to the end. And that gets me too often. Too often, yeah. Um, but really, I, uh, you know, now that we're getting you know, a little bit more established as a business, we can, we can make those decisions to cut something loose. Absolutely. Right? Great answer. And let's switch gears and talk about energy for a bit. Whenever I come to this part of the podcast, I get a little afraid because all of the guests <laughs> thus far have given me the answers to the thing that I need to do. Okay. Uh, it comes back to that quote, like the thing you need to find is most often where you're least willing to look. <laughs> and every time I ask, ask these questions, uh, you know, whether it's George or Jasmine, Mafuz or, you know, any of the, any of the guests that we've had, they always say the thing that I'm, I'm always hesitant to start. So I'm interested to know if you have the same answer or a different one. Sure. Maybe you have a different one and I'll feel better about the choices I'm making right now. But how many hours of sleep do you get each night? I usually get between six and seven hours. Okay. Um, there's definitely times when I get five or less that I know that I can't do it two days in a row. Okay. Um, when I was building now, though, from years one to four, I would say, um, you know, we had the, we had the corking space. Um, I was I was there at least twelve hours a day. Wow. Just to do client stuff, right? That wouldn't even account for the stuff I was doing to build the business or networking events or whatever it was. Um, I really kind of leaned, um, away from that because again, I, I don't, I like to think that it's not just because I'm getting older. Right. Um, I like to think that it's because I'm actually, um, realizing and being more aware of my energy. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like I said that I won't take a call or I'll push a call if I'm not in the right, not in the right mindset for it. Right. Because if I had, you know, an incredibly crappy day, and uh, got into a situation or something tense happened, I would, like, as much as I'd honor the commitment to the podcast, I would be, you know, I wouldn't be a, I, I wouldn't be a good guest for the yes, podcast, yeah. let's say, right? And who, who knows, maybe you wouldn't even want to use the episode, right? right. So um, that's something that I am more mindful of. For sure. Um, when it comes to the, the amount of sleep, um, I'm great at actually like pushing through when it's the morning. Right. Um, I actually like I physically like just feel the uh, whatever it is like where I'm just you know I'm going for something right. Um, the adrenaline is running and you know the matcha latte is kicking in. But I do know that like later on that night I'm not gonna be able to do much. <laughs> right. You're gonna be gassed out. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I can't have those days where it's like five consecutive crises or like three consecutive events. Um, I do like to think that it's possible because, you know, we all watch our buddy Gary V. Yeah. Uh, he's always in an Uber somewhere, yeah. right? AirPods in just. He doesn't take a, he doesn't take a nap in the Uber. Like no. he does something that is also very uh, demanding, which is 
talk to people, answer people's calls. But what's right? amazing about Gary Vee, and I'm glad you brought that up, is like I remember you and I became fans of Gary Vee mm. around the same time mm. where he did that famous talk. I think it was a TechCrunch talk or a yep. TED talk where yep. he talked about crushing it. It's like, you got your nine to five <laughs> and then you got your five to whenever. Go home and don't watch fucking Lost. Yes. Like, that yeah. was, I was so impressionable <laughs> when I received that and I, I subscribed to it wholeheartedly and what happened is I burned out. What's do been you, amazing, do you blame, though. Do you blame Gary? No, I, I, I think I blamed Gary early on, but like with with enough time and maturity, I'm like, no, it was totally my okay, fault. Okay. Like I should have, I should have allowed myself to receive different sources of information right. for how to achieve success, right. not just Gary's blueprint. But I'm glad I had that. What's been amazing for me to see is Gary's maturity and now how he talks about sleep all the time. Sleep mm-hmm. is a competitive advantage. I'm like, oh, you've done a full 180, Gary. Like, you used to talk, you used to be the preacher of getting very little sleep, and now <laughs> you're swearing by this. Now he talks about all the time. It's what you do when you're awake, right? Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely. What, that's what's more important. Absolutely. So he doesn't tell you that you need five hours or eight hours. He just tells you it's what you do when you're awake, right? Mm-hmm. He's a big. So one of the things that I do like, regardless of what schedule he does pull, is he's a big advocate of of not just wasting time, right? Now, if you're doing something to unwind or socialize, you're not wasting time. That's something that you as as an individual, either physically or spiritually, mentally, whatever it is, emotionally, it's something you need. So right. you, you have to check that box off in order to do the rest of the work. So if I know that it's been like two, three weeks before I've like properly had like a deep conversation with someone, like you start to realize you need that, right? Yes. Like you don't want to continue or you're going to be more, um, you're going to be less, uh, what's it called? Less effective, yeah, right? Yeah, less present. So many, so many things. And I would say yeah. that there's like four distinct types of energy, like energy buckets. And I got this okay. from Tony Schwartz uh, from the Energy Project who says that there's emotional energy, physical energy, spiritual energy, and I'm missing one. Physical, emotional, spiritual, and um, fuck. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember what what it okay. is. It'll come back to me at some point in this podcast. How do you replenish your energy? Like, imagine those are buckets and they're being drained all yep. the time yep. with every interaction you have. Like, we're having this podcast right now. You're going to walk away from this feeling energized, but you're always going to feel like, oh, like I lost some energy in that totally. podcast. It's I natural. Mean, How do you reinvest? How do you re- replenish those buckets? I mean, I I will just say though, I do depending on how much you know was mental exerted. energy was the fourth one. Sorry, mental. Okay, yeah. depending on how much was exerted or demanded of me or how it went. Right. Um, I'm a big. I'm a big. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of positivity versus negativity, because. I again, you could you can go on complaining for an hour. Like let's say that you know something horrible happened at a, at a meeting before this, you can go you can go on that for hours, right? right? But we're just we're just subtracting energy by doing that, right? So just thinking positively, worrying about what I'm going to do next, getting inspired um, by, about another project. Like we didn't get this client, but now we have time to focus on our own content. For example, yeah. right? Obviously, it doesn't always make business sense, but that's a thing, right? Um, applying that positive energy, um, I, I totally deal with um, uh, momentum, right? You have momentum going. We're we're on roll here. We're having a great conversation. Let's say I'm energized. When I get out of this meeting, I can either go to bed or I might have another hour of like pumped up. Yeah, you up can channel energy, right? this energy into something exactly. else, which is what I usually do after the podcast. Totally channeling it Some in, writing, right? Yeah, exactly. So you can do you can do writing. Um, uh, you can maybe have a meeting if, of course, someone's available at that time and is in the same you know wavelength, yeah. right? Um, and I, I really like to do that. That's why I like to group certain things together. So right before this, again, I didn't want to tire myself out for the podcast, but I did know that I actually get energy from doing certain activities, right? Mm-hmm. So I interviewed 
uh, someone, again, you know, young, co-op student, uh, high school student, uh, ambitious. I'm inspired by that, right? right? Like that is one of the things that helps fuel me. Second thing is team meeting where, again, we're in our new space. You know, <clears throat> the pressure's not on me to lead the meeting. Um, I'm there to fully experience it and, and kind of see, you know, how our team is working, see something I've created, give creative input, which, again, is something that's fulfilling, right? Right. Knowing that, of course, yes, I'm running here, I'm rushing here, whatever, but I know that I'm not, I don't feel drained by that, right? So those two things actually give me momentum uh, to have the energy to do this podcast, right? If I had actually taken a nap in that two-hour period before, I probably would be a little bit um, more mellow, groggy, whatever it is, and not as fired up as I would be, right? So it's hard for people to understand that. I know a lot of people do ask me, like, how do I go to four events in a row or, or whatever, right? But um, even even sales meetings the other day, like, we grouped three sales meetings together and we're Ubering around. Yeah, you just batch them together. Exactly. Yeah. You batch them together and you're just, like, you're on, right? Yeah, so, while you're in that mental space, you continue yeah, in that mental space. Totally, totally. So, again, um, I do recognize that there's days where you're just, like, I don't want to do any meetings today, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. today I need to catch up on this or today I just need to rest. And um, that's super important too. I know obviously you, you've had an episode talking about mental health and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I think about it um, the last uh, couple of months where I've had like maybe a one day off per week, maybe, right? And I start to realize okay, like, hey, wait a second, like, my mind is busy, so I'm not thinking about right. the fact that, oh, I haven't gone to a movie. Like, I'm not thinking about that. Um, but then when I do sit back and realize, like, man, like, I have to wake up again early tomorrow, and I just realize I'm not actually going to have a day at all that I can sleep in. Um, you start to actually mindfully schedule that in. Yes. Because I know that after so long of doing that, I'm going to start to hate my life. Absolutely. You'll become resentful. <laughs> exactly. You're going to start, you're going to be like, man, why did I book that podcast with Hamza? Yeah. I just need to go home and sleep, right? Of course. We've both been there. Like, we yeah. know that feeling. All, it, it, it happens, right? And, and I think that you're probably a lot better at um, like allocating your energy. I know that uh, when you shared uh, your talk at Now Common, uh, I think it was last year. Oh, thank you for that, yeah. You really made it clear about how you categorize, you know, what these activities are and, oh, and are they going to add, are they going to give you energy? Are they going to uh, suck energy from you and how severe are those, right? Because, of course, there's stuff that's yes. in between. Um, and you can plan your day around that, right? So uh, kudos to you for having oh, that system. You, I personally, I'm not there yet. Uh, that is something I can definitely uh, improve on. Dude, it was but... <laughs> a system that was uh, was developed out of necessity, right? right? It happened only because I kept on running up against challenges and difficulties that, uh, you know, ha- had to breed the sort of innovation that resulted in that system. Right. Right. Uh, while you were answering those questions, I couldn't help but just like feel validated in my understanding of what constitutes a good entrepreneur. <laughs> a good op- entrepreneur, I think, is comprised of two elements. And you need these. These are essential to being an entrepreneur. One is, I would say, a blend of confidence and optimism, despite the consequences. Mm. And the other is high risk tolerance. If you don't have those, you're not going to be an entrepreneur. Right. You have both of them. Right. And you have such ample confidence. Like I've always, you know, if I close my eyes and think about like Daniel Frankville, what essence does he radiate? It's just joy, man. Like you're 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 so you're so happy all the time. I like that. I mean, I am I am known as a complainer in certain situations. I, I've never heard them. Like I've yeah, it's it's more. Maybe I haven't been around you enough. Yeah, no. The reason for that is it's more it's more silly things, right? But the reason for that is it's more like, hey, this should be great. Why is there a problem with it, right? It's more yeah. like because I'm so optimistic, 
I think it should be perfect. And when it's not, I'm kind of like, hey, why isn't it, right? So that's where my complaining comes from. I I hear you, man. And like you talked at the beginning of the podcast about going to the Dominican Republic and immersing Mm. yourself in that culture. And uh, it reminded me of a quote from, of all movies, Captain America, which is, uh, only a weak man understands strength. Mm. And I think by subjecting yourself to those difficult situations, by aligning yourself with your experiences in their moments of dire need, you are now able to understand what it is that you have over here, such that everything, losing the lid on your matcha is a champagne problem. It's a Mickey Mouse problem. (laughs) For sure. And by the way, um, people do need reminders of that though. So for me, like I went to Dominican Republic in 2006 or 2005 and I went back to, I went back, I went to Haiti um, right after the earthquake happened in 2010. And I know that I will need to go again very soon. I'm actually looking at um, potentially collaborating with a another service organization. Trip? Yeah. Um, not necessarily a service trip, but actually looking for different ways that we can get involved and make impact. So more okay. of a, a research trip and connecting with the people there. Um, and like, no matter what your source of inspiration is or what kind of uh, grounds you, you have to repeat that, right? You can't go 20 years without that inspiration, right? Because you lose it. The, the fact of... Just your daily routine, never mind what's on your phone distracting you twenty four seven. The physical act of, you know, getting shoved onto the streetcar, right? Yes. Like those types of things will will obviously dampen your your mood and your spirits and yeah, yeah. totally make you forget about that original inspiration, right? So um for me, I recently wrote down uh after again our, our six years, at now I wrote down um what what is now? Like, why does now exist, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not really ready, ready to share that because it's not like, you know, pr- professionally presented or, right. or scripted. It's all like thoughts, right? Yeah, now. I wrote down a bunch of, of thoughts and it's like, you know, you, you can you can start to evaluate um, things that come up and realize like, hey, this is not why we exist. This is not why we started, right? Like, like how far are these new projects or these new clients or these new events from how far of a departure are they from our our core mission and our core vision, right? And so with nonprofits, I find it's very easy. They're mission-driven, right? It's very easy to categorize, this is your vision, these are your values, this is Mm -hmm. your mission. Everything you do has to- Ties back to this. Yeah, it has to tie back. With a company, it's completely different. Yeah, especially a for-profit. Exactly. Unless you're a social purpose business, um, sometimes it's the owner's passion. Sometimes it's something that the, the founder, whims of the market, man. Yes, it could be that. It could be something you're just trying to prove, right? For sure. Um, it could just be something that you that you have a passion that you're passionate about doing. Yeah. Um, but you get into problems if you're passionate about writing and that's your passion. It doesn't mean that you know how to start a content marketing company. No, you're a good writer, right? And so, um, people do depart often uh, and totally forget. They lose sight of what their what their real purpose was for yeah. doing that. So, um, it is something that you have to revisit, right? It's like that quote about uh, uh, was it inspiration? How um, inspiration doesn't last. So just like um, just like taking a bath or a shower, that's why you that's why we recommend you do it daily, right? Yeah. So you need to be re-inspired. You need to reconnect with people. You know, um, you need to hang out with like-minded individuals, yes. right? Um, and as entrepreneurs, oftentimes you are not around other entrepreneurs. You may just be around your team, right? Or you may just be around your clients. So yeah. 
um, you, I, I'm a huge advocate for that for sure. As we've experienced oh, with dude. each other, right? This has been so cool. I mean, like uh, somebody asked me the other day, like, uh, "You're enjoying the podcast?" I'm like, "I'm loving it." They're like, "In the mix of the things that you're doing right now, where does this rank?" I'm mm. like, "This is probably the top thing that nice. I'm enjoying the most because it." gives me the chance every week and usually sometimes we'll do both Sunday and Monday recording sessions nice. to load up with a lot of inspiration and motivation for the rest of the week like for this sure. is for me <laughs> I mean you're doing you're doing us such a huge favor by being here and like giving us these insights giving us these jewels and these nuggets that are going to carry us forward for not just weeks to come but months and all the way to the end of the year man thank you you got to compete for that guest of the year belt we're, oh we're, we're going to build one out and we're going to put it to the fans <laughs> to vote for and the listeners to vote for the great thing about this podcast though is that it's it's totally mutual right yes. so both with yourself and the other guests i'm i'm continuously learning so far so and there's a body of work that's being developed i'm really excited to put together a compilation of all of the answers and nice. really understand across all the guests are there any patterns in terms of time nice. energy and attention yep. optimization yep. which brings me to the attention piece over here and what i want to do instead of asking you three questions i want to blend them together into one question sure. and take a deep dive so we're part of No Notification Gang. That's the the gang that we've just created during this podcast, <laughs> yeah. NNG. Um, I can't go back. I can't go back to a world where my phone is telling me what to do, when to do it, how to do it, yeah. where to do it, all of that. Uh, my phone doesn't control me. I control my phone. Easier said than done, though, because the problem isn't necessarily notifications. Notifications are the symptom of the problem. Right. The problem is my underlying fear that I'm missing out, yeah. FOMO. And so... In lieu of the notifications, what I'm now doing is I'm actively checking my phone and I'm checking it probably more than I would have checked it if I would have just received the notifications to begin with. Right. So I need to unlearn this bad behavior of reflexively leaning into my pocket, reaching into my pocket, pulling out my phone and opening up the several apps that would have usually broadcast <laughs> notifications to me. So open up Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Anchor, totally. Skillshare, da, 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 Gchat, Slack, you name it. Mm -hmm. How do you govern when you check your phone and what you check on your phone? Now it sounds it sounds like a really simple question, yeah, but let's take sure. a deep dive into this. So what I what I decided to do is first step with my no no notifications thing was emails. The reason it was emails because typically emails require some type of action or like in depth response or thought. Right? The email is not hey I'm running five minutes late. You know, we're not using Blackberries anymore. We're just emailing that way, right? The, of course, some people do, but the email thing for me is like a list of actions that I have to take or a, a, a strong amount of uh, opinion or input I have to give on something, right? So, email was something that I turned off because I know that number one, I'm more effective when I'm actually sitting down doing work, right? Uh, and two, I'm just, I'm just not, <laughs> I just don't want to be taken out of the, the moment I'm in to think about that work or that project, right? Same thing with something like Asana notifications. We used to use another app called Redbooth and mm -hmm. it would fill up my phone because there's all these little things happening, but there's no, the phone doesn't know what the urgency level of that yes. project is. So, you know, some small project that is due in a week, I don't need to immediately be notified and right. look at that. Uh, my iPhone or the app does has no idea about that, right? Oh. So that's the second thing. So uh, with emails, though, I found that I was I find that I was spending a lot less time on my phone. Um, I actually found that you know back when I was commuting before I started driving, um, I would I would actually write emails on there, right? Like not just respond, but actually write new emails, which means I was taking the second to actually think this is something I need done or this is something I need to to share and communicate as opposed to being reactive, mm -hmm. right? So that's obviously, as you know, with notifications, yeah. it's, you're constantly reacting, right? Um, 
the second or sorry, the third thing I that I decided to remove was uh, Facebook chat because most of the things on there were super low priority. Yes. And my and my I don't know what drove me to to be concerned about that, but you know, always that idea of once you've once you've opened it, it's out of my head. It's out of my mind. I'm yeah. never gonna get back to it, right? So if you send me a Facebook message and I'm getting onto the subway, I'm never going to open that message That's again. It, man. And so I met- no one I'm messaging you about cannolis. You know, like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I won't respond, right? Yeah. So what I do is I turn off my notifications for that. But then when I am on the desktop or something, I'll check all the messages at one time, right? And I'll, I'll make a uh, I'll make a point to respond right. to the ones I have to respond to, right? Yes. Um, otherwise, you can just leave it as unread and come back when you have a chance. So um, it's similar with text messages, but because texts are often a little bit more urgent. Um, I'll, I'll be able to respond to those as well on my computer. I just, I try so hard not to be glued to my phone for conversations. Yeah. If it's something that can be, that can happen during a call, I'll just do a call. When I'm driving now, I have, um, CarPlay, right? Which is like, yeah. like a version of your iPhone. Yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it won't, it won't show you the text message. It'll say that there's one coming in from a person, gotcha. but it can read you the message. So what I love about that is I can read it and I can just verbally state my reply. And so what I, what I had gotten into the routine was, um, I'm with you right now. Let's say I'm getting a bunch of messages. I'm then going to another meeting. I'm getting, I'm not going to have a chance to check those, but when I'm driving home, I'm like, hey, Siri starts reading me all these messages, and I'm Digest, like, yeah. yeah, and I'm just like, respond, 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 because I'm just verbally saying my responses. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have that, I have that time where I've chosen, I have the best time to respond. I can't do anything else because I'm driving, right? So it's it's a, actually a good opportunity for me to respond to those messages, um, and that was actually kind of a cool routine that I that I started getting into, right? So I love it. All of these tactics, all of these systems, and the way that you approach productivity have allowed you to save up, or not, I want to say save up, to create enough capacity to work on the multiple things you're working on right now. Right, and it's very hard to define you. You know, you could say that. Daniel's a creative, Daniel's an entrepreneur, Daniel's a business person, Daniel is a nonprofit leader. I would argue that you are all of those things in equal measure. So my last question to you over here is, what advice would you give to somebody, a listener, that is juggling multiple priorities, that feels that they're defined by several things, but mm-hmm. society is placing pressure on them to be defined by one thing? We've right. heard it our entire life. You were part of the genera- generation that was encouraged to specialize. Right, right. I would say you're specializing in multiple things. You're a master of many trades. Yeah, so I think that's that's definitely a challenge. Um, I like to not look at the, of course, the external pressure as much as possible. Um, at one point, I kind of tried to define what I was doing as an entrepreneur, uh, which plays to the business side business side and a change maker which plays to the nonprofit side the activism side the community stuff I do um, try to pair everything into that right um, now of course uh, not everyone resonates with the word entrepreneur not everyone knows what the heck a change maker is right uh, and so for me I've, I've still I've still had tr- struggled to define that um, and I think in my um, LinkedIn bio I changed it from my my job title right or my company name to um, just something about how, like what I do, I help organizations do X, Y, Z, right? Mm-hmm. And that's important because it doesn't matter what format I'm doing that in. It doesn't matter what type of business or organization or size. Um, it's the act of me bringing that skill set to those people, right? 
it's something active. I'm not the creative director of Mad Creative Group. Um, I'm helping an organization uh, you know, reach the people they want to reach, or I'm helping an entrepreneur uh, grow their business, or I'm helping a, a young nonprofit leader make a better impact, right? right. So I, I think about it a little bit like that. Um, now back to the point of like, how do you, you know, how do you manage that internal battle? Um, I like to see the links between everything I do, right? I registered a domain name for my blog a long time ago. Like I think it was in university and it was designcharitylife.com. Cause I thought, okay, I'm a, I'm in school for a graphic designer, a graphic design. I have a charity and life is everything else. Right. Um, but of course, even that was too, too broad or, or too specific. Sorry. Um, so I've gotten over defining it, right? I'm just someone who's doing stuff, right? I put in one of my bios somewhere that I'm just a doer, something like doer, giver, I don't know what. Um, there's 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 phases that you go through when you're defining yourself and your personal brand, right? Um, but more importantly, it's less about the title and more about the impact that you want to create. Daniel, you uh, you have inspired me. You continue to inspire me and a generation of people that have been lucky to work with you, to collaborate with you through the multiple ventures you're a part of. You exemplify what Guy Kawasaki has coined as the art of the start. Um, <laughs> you are an entrepreneur who is doing incredible things, who has done incredible things, and will no doubt continue to do incredible things. We're so blessed to have had you on this podcast. Thank you so much, sir. This has been an absolute honor, and I hope to have you back again very soon. Uh, where can people follow your adventures online? Yeah, thank you so much. It's Like like I said, it's uh, it's an honor to be here as well, and you've you've always been someone who's kind of inspired me and pushed me, and um, I'm always looking, at, uh, looking to you, especially from a work-life balance standpoint. Um, for me, uh, I'm most active on, uh, well, let's just put it this way. I'm, I have a lot of scheduled content out there <laughs> so that I appear to be most active. Yeah. Um, but you can interact with me, um, on, on Facebook. Sorry, on Facebook. What am I saying? <laughs> Adam I'm, is a friend, right? Several now. years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, several years back. Uh, actually, yeah, I, I, I re- rarely look at my friend requests. <laughs> you don't um, even have messenger on your phone. Exactly. Right? I don't even have the app. Um, but no, for sure, Twitter and, and Instagram are where you can find me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn uh, pretty regularly. I do like posting a lot of content on there because um, I found that you know you can build a totally separate community uh, on LinkedIn that you wouldn't have been able to find elsewhere. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn, just my name. My username on Twitter is Frank Avila, my last name. And on Instagram, it's Daniel Frank Avila. And for all the young stunners who are listening right now who want to get involved with the Access Project, yeah. who want to get involved with the Bright Ideas pitch, yes. uh, do you have any dates, any links, any 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 tips? Yes, so for sure. So Access Charity uh, is the username that we have on all platforms, at Access Charity. Um, we'll be announcing, first of all, a few more of the recipients of the pitch that just happened. Uh, one of them, uh, Linked Mental Health, is is amazing uh, resource that you guys should all check out. Um, it's actually started by students from UFT. Uh, they're now part of, uh, I think, the Sheridan Edge uh, Incubator Program, nice. uh, and uh, they've received um, uh, a lot of recognition and funding. So they they did receive the Access Pitch support, which is not just funding for your uh, your venture, but also uh, mentorship in a few of the different areas that we specialize in. Um, such as, you know, funding, branding, and so on. Um, and uh, accesscharity.ca is where you can apply for future uh, access bright ideas pitch. Uh, and for me, that's something that, you know, no matter how busy I get, I can always make time for that because um, that is something that, again, gives you, it gives me energy, right? And, and I know that that's the impact that I'll see from years to come. There we go. Friends, that's a wrap. Till next time. 